Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Rinson. I'm your host, and it's time for a Brady Quinn football show. Billy. Yes. Yes. Debo got rid of the air horns, and Billy brought them right back, baby. You know who's not using any air horns right now? That is the U. That is the University of Miami by getting absolutely throttled by Florida State this past week. You know, it's it's weird. So, um... Oregon had Justin Herbert and really struggled to utilize him. Okay. Let's just dive into this conversation real quick. You know where I'm going with this, right? I do know you're going with this. So I remember calling like Justin Herbert's entire career pretty much when I started calling games for Fox and he was a Eugene, Oregon kid. Uh, It's always a great story. Anytime you got a hometown kid, he, he ends up being the starting quarterback dreams come true but then ascends to this, you know, first round top 10 pick, right? Great story. And every single year you'd watch me and go, man, he's really growing. He's blossoming into this, this great player. And it was capped off by a Rose Bowl performance, right? I believe they won. Did they win the Pac-12 that year? I had one on the Pac-12 that year, right? Uh, I believe so, yes. His final year. And But there was always something where you're like, man, I just can't put my finger on what it was, but there was just something missing. And then he got to the pros and he got with the Chargers, and you watched him then play on an offense where they open things up, and you go, oh, it was, it was Mario Cristobal's offense holding him back the entire time. And now I feel bad for Tyler Van Dyke, who finished really well last year for Miami, and then this year all of a sudden it looks like they've forgotten how to play football. So kind of a sad deal for, um, I guess, quarterbacks there at the U right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, they got hit by, was it was it somebody from Carolina? No, somebody from Duke. A Duke player scored a touchdown on him and gets in the end zone and goes and does like the downward flip. Like when Duke yeah. is down flipping the U. From the U to like the non-U, was it N, I guess, to be kind you know, of. If you Google me there's a, and click images, there's a picture of me doing it. I'm a, look much, much younger. I'll give it to Billy to put in. Uh, you look pretty young now, man. I mean, outside the beard. I look, I look if you shave good. your beard, you, you actually look like young. Youngish. I look very pasty, though. That's a problem. That is true. That's part of your pastiness. But uh, there's also, uh, and not to get, and by the way, I like Mario Cristobal. I think he's a good leader of men, good head coach. But God, they need to find someone to come in there on an offense for him because it's just like, wow. Although, I mean, I, I, and, and I, agree, I agree with everything you said. I will say that um, the uh, that the Chargers have not done a great job of accentuating. Not this year, but I also think, and I'm preparing to call a game for Westwood one between 49ers and the Chargers this week. One of the things I noticed in the breakdown is I, I think they're a little concerned with some of their protection issues up front because they've done a tremendous job of getting the ball out of Justin Herbert's hand. They know they've got some issues up front, but but the offensive line's protected them well, but they're kind of trying to play more of a ball control offense. And you can see that. And obviously the wide receivers out too plays a role in that. But it's just a different spin on, I think, what maybe they feel like their offense and their team needs right now, given some of the issues they're facing with injuries. That's that's more of what I'm sensing from all this. And actually, you can no longer find the, the image because Lewis Brinson plays for the, the Marlins. Played for the oh. Marlins. Okay. Not related. Not related at all. Not related. Um, By anyway. the way, real quick, I will never forget going to the Red Box Bowl, right, that was it. Was the old San Francisco Bowl? I got to call the Red Box Bowl back when Fox had bowl games. I was calling college games, and it was Oregon versus Michigan State. I think the final score is seven six. You can check this, check that accuracy. But uh, it was Justin Herbert, one of his like final games. And I remember going down and being like, "Man, this dude like has a howitzer for an arm." Like people are like, "You don't understand until you get down there." Like you watch on a film, you can appreciate it. You go down there on the field, you watch him. And as big as he is, like he's every bit at like six foot six. You watch them throw, and you're going, "Oh, okay, I get it." 
I mean, just absolutely beating dudes up with the football, watching him throw in warm-ups before that game. And I'm pretty sure they won 7-6. That checks out. Did you actually okay. check it? What's that? Did you actually check the stats on that? Was that the Outback Bowl or the Red Box Bowl? Red Box, Red Box Bowl, Justin Herbert stats. We like Googling things live on this podcast. Yeah, that's what we do. It, it gets it gets popping. Our, um, I've been told uh, by by various uh, muckety mucks, yuppity yups, uppity um, higher up. That's uh, not that something that, that, he, that, that he, I'm not going to name anyone in particular, loves when I Google things live on this podcast. I think I know who that person is. Seven, yeah, yeah, probably guess. Seven to six, the final Oregon won. Uh, their only point scored in the fourth quarter. Justin Herbert, 19 of 33, 166, and a touchdown. I mean, that sounds like a Mario Cristobal offense if I've ever heard of one. Right? <laughs> it sure does. Do you remember who the quarterback on the other side was? Yes. Brian Lewerke? Ding, 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 ding. Yes. Yes. Maybe Quinn. By the way, th- did Mark D'Antonio want that game any other way? Like, uh, you don't think at Michigan State, he wasn't like, this. Is, we got him right where we want him. And he finished his 70, six, finished nothing seven, in the fourth quarter. He was, six, quarter. Six. He was yeah. 66 coming into that and, and scores six points and finished. I don't know who's. Seven and five coming in. Yeah. And finishes seven and six after losing seven and six. Yeah. But you don't think he wasn't sitting there going, this is right where we want him. Right. Low scoring out here in San Francisco. The coldest winter I ever felt was a summer in San Francisco. Yeah, we got we got we got NFL stuff to get to. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. That's fine. That was a Brinson, you know, digression, if you will. What okay. Yes. All right, I'm not gonna Let's anyway keep moving. Um, so the uh Thursday night football, Atlanta, Carolina. We'll preview it very quickly, like yes. under four minutes. So PJ Walker is still the quarterback, right? Yes, right. at halftime for Baker after looking terrible. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, I on, Baker looked pretty good coming in off the bench help out. I know I went on Nick Costa's show last uh, his uh You Better You Bet show last week, and they were like all right, you're in Carolina. You're, you know, you're close to the situation. What do you, what do you think? I'm like, well, not really. I'm pretty far away, but whatever. Uh, they're like, what do you, you know, what do you think? This Carolina team really turned it around the corner. I'm like, what are you talking about? Typical New Yorker, by the way. Like yeah. everything, like, like, yo, you're in the state of North Carolina. You're close to Charlotte. Like, yeah, it's like no, no, no. Like, I'm, it's, I'm closer to D.C. than Charlotte. Right. Um, he's like, you're close to the situation. What do you think? You know, is this team, this team's really turned it around. P.J. Walker changing things. Uh, and I'm like, I was like, no, this team sucks. What are you talking about? They're like, and then Ken, his co-host was like, what is like? Have you been watching the last few weeks? I'm like, have you been watching the last few weeks? They're, they're like, they beat the they beat the Bucks by two, like three touchdowns. It's like, okay, the Bucks aren't very good. Panthers defense. That was their first home game with Steve Wilkes. They played hyped up. They scored a late touchdown, so it wasn't fourteen to three. And then they scored. Se- there were seven scores in the fourth quarter of the Falcons game. The Panthers are trash, and sure enough, they go on the road and get absolutely throttled by the Cincinnati Bengals. I do think, however, that this Thursday night game in Carolina is a decent spot for him against Atlanta. Um, I, I think that the Falcons are a much better t- or a better team. I'm not much better. I don't think we'll get, I think this will be a low scoring game. I don't think we'll get the fireworks we got in the last game. I think PJ Walker can get benched again. Um, his, his, look, his, his Hail Mary touchdown throw against the Falcons two weeks ago was one of the best plays of the year. Um, but I, I just don't think either of these teams are particularly great. And people are really overvaluing what they saw on that Sunday in that fourth quarter in red zone style fashion, where you kept getting inundated with that game. Even though, if you like me lo- locally had that game on, you're like, this game sucks for three quarters. And then it just turned into a shootout. Yeah. All right. Good synopsis. Uh, I could see the game going either way. It's a three point spread. Uh, home dogs have done well this year, uh, especially in the short week this time of year. Usually the, the home field advantage starts to play a factor, but. This team should be three and six. Like, let's just put it that way. If not for the DJ Moore ripping off his helmet, you're probably looking at him saying they're a three and six football team. Uh, and, and so the rest is history. But uh, I would ask you this What's the identity of the Carolina Panthers? I have no clue. I, I don't either. But you know what the identity of the Atlanta Falcons is, right? They can run the football, whether it's with Cordero Patterson or Tyler Algier and Marcus Mariota being a part of that. And even though the passing game isn't great, like it's supplemented enough to be able to handle it. And look, defensively, Atlanta struggled. But I'll go ahead and sit there and say, like, I think the Falcons have a much better idea of how to stay in games, how to win football games than the Panthers do that are just trying to figure out, is P.J. Walker the quarterback for the rest of the year? Does it make sense? Like if I'm David Tepper, the owner, I'm paying Baker Mayfield. I'm paying Sam Darnold, who's now back. At some point, do you want to use either of those guys? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you just want to let them start calling plays. 
Um, it just it seems anybody like, can call plays these days. Well, yeah, apparently. Um, which by, we, by the way, PJ Walker only on the roster because Matt Rule coached at Temple. I don't know about only on the roster for that. Um, he's displayed, I think, in, in recent years and some preseason games and so forth, the ability Excellent. to kind of move around and, and be a backup. Um, probably a, probably a, a little insurance policy for you, but it helps. It helps that he played for Matt Rule. So um, that's all part of it. But I, I, I just kind of look at this game and go, I would uh, I would lay the three points here with Atlanta. Uh, I know yeah. it's uh, up against history on the short week. Uh, the Carolina Panthers typically have a good defense. I just kind of look at them right now and go, I think they're – a lot of soul searching going on right now in Carolina, but they are debuting that sweet black helmet. I did see that. Oh, they are. That's, yeah, there's like some sweet black helmet they're wearing. I think this week I saw it somewhere on social media. I have to check that out. Um, yeah, I don't really. Uh, I mean, I don't really. I, this game matters for the Falcons, right? Like uh, they're still actually in it. Like you look at the Panthers right now, dudes are just crossing their fingers to get to the postseason healthy because you're, you know, you're if you're like DJ Moore and some of these other guys. If you're not getting extended, Brian Burns, you're probably saying, all right, I'm either getting the tag or I'm getting the hell out of here. And I'm trying to go to a place that's not in rebuild mode since that's where it feels like Carolina's going right now. Yeah, Billy notes in the uh, in the chat that there could be bad weather for this game. Actually, I knew there was going to be bad weather in North Carolina on Friday. I didn't realize uh, the tropical storm that's moving south is actually going to hit, scheduled to hit Charlotte. Uh, and we should we could be looking at, so light wind, yeah, 11 mile per hour wind, but a lot of rain. Um, you know, not that rain, you know, is necessarily like a, you know, it, it, I think it will limit two teams. I think, it, I think if they know that it's raining a lot and it's like kind of windy, that two teams that already aren't very good at passing the ball in the first place will be passing the ball even less. I like the under in this game. I'll take the three points with Carolina just because it's, um, it's it's it's. I think it'll be a low scoring affair, and I think they'll be able to keep it close, but not. It shouldn't be a very thrilling game. All right, let's move on because really we shouldn't spend too much time on this game. But look look at us doing a preview. Yeah, why not? Hey, two guys. But I also like the under, so I'll take the under. Okay, I'll the other side of this one though. Um, we didn't have this on the top of the rundown, but I am curious. So Josh Allen, or should we save this for a read between the lines? Where you read between the lines of what Sean McDermott says? We can just do read between the lines now. Okay. We'll just change it up. Read between. All right, let's see. Sean McDermott came out and said, Josh Allen is day-to-day, quote, day-to-day with an elbow injury and, quote, we'll see if he'll play against the Vikings on Sunday. Oh, no, he said he's day-to-day. The next question is going to be, will he play? We'll see. That's the full quote from Sean McDermott on Josh Allen and his elbow injury not going into the medical report. Not going to answer any more questions about Josh. We will see how he does. We'll ju- we'll use common sense. Brady, read between the lines. Yeah, I think the question becomes: you know, is there a potential chance of this becoming a nagging long term issue for Josh Allen the rest of the season, or potentially getting it worse where he's going to have to sit out a series of of, of games uh, or the rest of the season? Not something we want to mess with. Um, you know, this is a team that's honestly been able to make hay based off that arm, based off that UCL, that right elbow. So I don't think there's any risk in playing him in this game if they feel like, I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that's gotten highlighted over the past couple of weeks is the Bills don't run the football. You take out Josh Allen from that equation, and they're just not good at running the football. I hated the move for Naheem Hines. Um, I thought they should have gotten a bigger, more physical back to be a tone setter. Uh, instead, they have their quarterback, who's that tone setter, who leads them in rushing, is the most physical runner that they have. So um, give him some rest. You've got Case Keenum, who might be the best backup in the NFL. Um, you know, put him in there, give him some burn time, see what he's capable of doing. And I think the one thing it's going to highlight is it'll force you to have to run traditional, you know, traditional runs. Like you're going to actually have to run the football and not rely on Josh Allen running, Josh Allen scrambling to be a part of that. So. It honestly could be good for all parties involved. I mean, he like Josh Allen's a freak, but there is a concern, I think, moving forward. If he keeps running as physical as he does, and I know this injury happened when he was playing from the pocket, but if he keeps running downfield, taking on hits like he does, eventually he'll get hurt. Eventually those hits add up. So it might be a good thing for all parties involved if he doesn't, but kind of lends me to think that like they're taking an approach of like, all right, let's get the game time. We'll let, we'll let Case Keenum take all the reps this week, prepare himself. And oh, by the way, uh, Case Keenum might have a little red ass for this game, right? And this is the former team. A little red took, ass. That's, that's he took to an NFC championship game based on the Minneapolis miracle 
and then got shunned, cast aside. So why not allow Case Keenum to come back in there and take on his former employer, the Minnesota Vikings, and go get a dub? Should I rename the revenge parlay the red-ass parlay? The red-ass parlay. Case Keenum's coming in there with a red-ass. His ass is just, just bright red. What? A puffy bottom. Yeah. A puffy bottom. <laughs> The puffy bottom parlay. <laughs> yeah, the puffy bottom parlay. Uh, no, but, I mean, that's how I look at it. There's just no reason to risk Josh Allen's arm. It's too valuable. He's too valuable. If you can give him a week of rest. Here's the only the tough part about it is the AFC East is extremely competitive. Like, can you afford to drop back a game? Sure. You just lost to the Jets. You lost earlier to the Miami Dolphins. Not sure you can afford to lose this game, especially at home. And then the Vikings, like, you can make the case, you know, they need this game as much as anything, too. But they're a good opponent. This will be their yeah. toughest of the year so far. No, I mean, like, like they haven't played the toughest schedule. This, it's this now game, this, up. This game would mean a lot to them to win, to beat a, a quality Bills team. Although, if it was if they play Case Keenum, it would be their. They need game. they need to win this game because I believe every single opponent on the rest of their schedule has a winning record. Like now, the Vikings get into the teeth of their schedule. So if you can win one on the road versus Buffalo without Josh Allen. That's kind of a huge get because everyone else has to face them with Josh Allen, probably. For sure. I, I, I thought you okay. I thought I thought you were saying like the Vikings need this to like show everybody that they can, you know. That- I, I don't think it's needed for that, but I think sneakily, what's the tougher division? The NFC North, or the NFC East. Yeah. I would say NFC East, right? The so NFC I would East. say if, if you're looking at the Vikings, maybe they got a shot for the number one overall seed. Oh, right, right, right. they could chase down Philly. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, they don't play the oh excuse me i'm looking at the bill schedule i was gonna put out the bills they have the vikings browns and uh, vikings and browns at home then at the lions i think all three of those games if let's just say hypothetically you needed to rest josh allen for three weeks you could win all three of those games with case keenum and the reason i mentioned that is because after that they are at the patriots jets at home and dolphins at home those three games right there will probably end up deciding a lot of what happens in the afc east the who uh Vikings do they play did the Vikings play the Eagles this year? I feel like they might. I could be wrong. Okay. Well, that's not the point. As you go to research while we're on the show. The I don't one, have the Vikings schedule in front of me. I'm sorry. No, the one thing I'd say about the Bills, though, like Josh Allen hasn't looked right the past couple of weeks, right? Like two touchdowns, the four interceptions, like a little over 50% completion percentage, like 210 yards per game. It has not looked quite the same. Particularly the last six weeks, six, six quarters. Yeah. Yeah, last six quarters, last game and a half, if you will. And I think if you're if you're like looking at breaking it down, it just it seems as if they've gotten away from being able to run a traditional offense where he doesn't have to be Superman every week, and that's a problem. I mean, last week he played flat out bad. I mean, give look give the Jets credit; that was a good win by their defense. Um, and I was a little surprised. Obviously, their defense had some injuries. Kyrie Irving got hurt. Greg Russo left that game. But this is a team that I think if you're looking at them right now, you're saying like you're getting into that portion of the season where you have to have a traditional run game. You know, you better be able to stop the run, which they didn't last week, and you better be able to run the football, which they haven't really been able to without Josh Allen. So this could maybe be a blessing in disguise as they push forward to try to kind of make a run, obviously, for a Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, you give them some rest. And then, by the way, the uh, the Vikings already played the Eagles, which is something now that I should have known. So that, And they lost to them, right? That was week two? Yep, yep. And yep. So that's what will make it tough to get that one seed. But if the Eagles lose, it twice, wouldn't make it tough if, again, if the Vikings end up having, a, you know, a couple of games better record, so. Right, of course. That's why every single game is going to matter in this regard. So it, it probably matters more if Josh Allen plays for the Vikings than it does necessarily for the for the Bills in this case. That's a good. That's a great point. Uh, I, I like the idea of resting Josh Allen. Getting make sure he's got. You need him healthy for the stretch. And you have Case Keenum. That's why you you got a good backup. You had Mitchell Trubisky. You lo- you lose him. You go get Case Keenum because you want to make sure you have a good backup in case something happens to Josh Allen. And now you have that chance to try and you know, win some games without. I, I think the other thing too, is you, you got to look at that stretch run you talked about and say, you're probably not giving how competitive this AFC conference is going to be for that number one overall seed. You're not going to be able to like rest guys week 18. Probably not. Yeah. Like those are all going to be important games. If everything stays status quo in, not only in the uh, AFC East, but I think just with looking at Kansas City. That's a great point. The, they, way, the Chargers aren't that far behind. Right. So the Chargers are there six and three right now. The Bills have rested guys in week 18 the last two years, but not not because they were locked into the one seed. They're just locked into their seed. Right. And probably not going to be able to do that this year. That's a good point. All right. Let's take a break. And when we come back, what quarterback needs to finish? The, what quarterback most badly needs to finish the year strong? And 
Will Brady Quinn be calling plays for the Indianapolis Colts this Sunday? <laughs> Find out next. Okay. Here's a group of quarterbacks you came up with. Okay. I guess actually we should keep reading between the lines, shouldn't we? Crap. Yeah, we, we have a number of reading between the lines. We can get through all this. We're fine. Yeah. All right. Read between the lines. Mike McCarthy is, quote, excited and looking forward to seeing the Packers in week 10 at, quote, a really special place. You talk about a guy with a red ass. Like, he's got to have a bit of a red ass going back into Green Bay. And basically watching that organization bend the knee to Aaron Rodgers, sign him to the contract, give him everything he wanted to, right? Like Randall Cobb coming back and, and, and try to basically build around the things that he's telling them to do. And now they're not having any success whatsoever. Meanwhile, Mike McCarthy's got his team in position in the NFC East to be a playoff team, maybe win the division. We'll see. You know, Giants have been great. Philly's been great. But you've got to believe he's saying all the right things, but in the back of his mind, he wants to go in there, kick the Packers' ass, and then go get a massage table, put it in the middle of the 50-yard line, and be like, yeah, remember how you guys were giving me a hard time about getting massages during the course of the week? Well, guess what? I still own this place, all right? I'll get one right here on the 50-yard line at Lambeau if I want. And then whips and pulls the towel off. They're like, oh, it's a puffy bottom. It's a puffy bottom. That sounds like a more of a Deshaun Watson move. But I, didn't. I, I thought I was thinking through the line in my head and then was like, you know what? That does sound like a Deshaun Watson move. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with you completely. He, you know, he, he was actually sort of crying in his press conference when asked about Lambeau Field. Like, what do you miss the most about Green Bay? He's like, y'all, I'm trying to make me cry, aren't you? They're, they're, no, seriously, what do you miss the most? And he's talking about his wife. Um, or you know, his wife had their kids. Other kids were born there, and um, I think he's got a street named after him. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, when you win a Super Bowl as a head coach, there you're, you're going to have some streets and maybe a burger or something or a steak that you got there too. Some beer, beer. some yeah. cheese, a, a beer, a cheese curd of some sort. Yeah, McCarthy cheese. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah, but I, I agree with you. It, this is an automatic entry in the in the uh the revenge the red ass parlay the only issue is that the cowboys at last check and i'll see if it's moved again because lord only knows it, it might have i said it was four and a half it's five last time i saw it and last time i saw it was five two oh it's back down to four and a half actually interesting okay. that's surprising well look look at the history of aaron Rodgers a in in lambo covering and then b as an underdog or even just first the cowboys right like this has been a team that he's dominated against it he, just he should have a red ass too man he, well, he should, but like it, it's such the, the hard thing about this is, is everything is telling you with this matchup to not go that direction, right? Like the Cowboys can run the football. The Packers can't stop the run. The Cowboys can rush and they can cover. The Packers can't throw right now. I just, everything's pointing you to say, lay the points with the, with the Cowboys. And I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot for holding on hope to like, all right, they're going to figure this out. Like they're, they're going to, they'll be fine. And then look, Sean Gary's out for the year. Eric Stokes could be out in their secondary. Um, isn't uh, Aaron Jones? He's going to play, but he, he was pretty he's kind of banged up. Uh, Romeo Dobbs uh, out. Yeah, I, Dobbs think left last. I mean, it's just, it doesn't look good, Every, man. Right. And this is the other thing, too, is like, it's not just Mike McCarthy could come in and be like, hey, remember me? He could come in and end Aaron Rodgers' season. Like, like finish it off for good. Because okay. they're 3 7, it's over. So that brings me to then something that Leroy Butler brought out. As we yeah. look at the rest of the season, and, and it's, it's a tough season, but even then, you're in year three with Jordan Love. And at some point, you have to look at what he potentially is just to make a decision on his fifth year option. Yeah. And, and so LeBron Butler's like, hey, bench Aaron Rodgers, which look, the way he played last week, people are, are, are putting that game on Aaron. And now obviously, there's way more to that story, but he was doing some uncharacteristic things. You don't see him throw red zone interceptions, you know? That's just not something he does. He doesn't throw interceptions in general. It looked bad versus one of the worst defenses in Detroit this year. So there probably is a little bit of validity to saying, don't you want to see Jordan Love at some point? If there are no postseason aspirations for this team this year, and as much as it would stink to have Mark Murphy look at his shareholders, because it's a different organization, right, and go – we're paying this guy $50 million to sit on the bench and see what we have in the guy we drafted behind him. Like, as much as that would stink, maybe it's worth discussing. Maybe it's worth, like, figuring out what you have in Jordan Love to at least make that decision after the season. It's also a lot easier to do for a organization like the Packers that doesn't have a, like, you know, 
Karen and was Karen and Chipoga Falls can't call up and say, all right, that's it, Mark Murphy. It's time for you to go as a Packers owner. I say you're fired. I don't know if that's a Wisconsin. It's not a very good Wisconsin accent. It's not. It's definitely not a Wisconsin accent. It was probably highly offensive, by the way. A Karen in Chipoga Falls, which is not a fake name, a fake lady in a fake town uh, with a with a non-Wisconsin accent. So you're just picturing some sort of... At any rate, the point being is... <laughs> God, that scared me somehow. Why did that scare me? Um, the, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, I guess you can still hear it. on. Uh, do those come through on, on the podcast feed? I don't know. I hear those though. I hear it on my end. I yes, they do come on. They do come on on the podcast feed. Okay, just making sure. Um, you look. You, the the issue is. I think if you're the Packers, I don't disagree with the idea. And, and look, Jordan Love, you he possible trade candidate. If you if you if he plays well, you, you pick him, right? Yeah, you pick him as fifth year option, and then let him play five or six games and see if he plays well. And if suddenly he does, maybe a team is interested in him. You're not going to get a first round pick back for him, but you might get a. Hell, you might get a receiver this offseason. You could trade for him. These next two games against the Cowboys and the Titans, if you lose those and you lose seven games in a row, the season's over. Yeah, no, no no one's going to debate that. I think you look at the stranglehold that the uh, Vikings have, too, in the NFC North, and you just go, all right, like the division's probably over, so now we're looking at a wild-card spot. And I think when you start to divide up, you know, the NFC South, it's just going to be Tampa. We're not going to see anyone else from that, uh, that, that division. The NFC East, you're going to have multiple teams. Right. I mean, it could, it's obviously looking at like Philly now. It could be Dallas too, maybe the New York Giants as well. Like, who knows? Maybe it's, it's, it's all three of them. And then the NFC West, you've got obviously Seattle and, and San Francisco biting for it right now. So, and when you start really adding it all up, they have such a long road just to get back into this to be a wild card team yep. that I do think you have to start contemplating like maybe we need to look at Jordan Love and just from a business standpoint and say, like, where are we going to be at with this guy after the season? So we can make a decision on that fifth year option. I, I think there's there's some validity to that. I agree completely. All right. Well, uh, more read between the lines. I love this one. I love every fiber of my being. I love this. And we can tie in uh which quarterback needs to finish the season uh strongest into this quote after we get through it. This is from Pete Carroll. If you notice, and I'm gonna let me see if I do a better Pete Carroll. Yeah. If, if you notice. Gino's going off the wristband, and that's a big help. It smoothed things out, sped things up, cleaned things up, and that's part of it, too. We never did that before. There was resistance to that, so we didn't do that before. When Shane, talking about Walter, the OC, says something to Gino, he's not doubting it. He's just going with it. So there's a real immediate flow in a process that accelerates the process. I was trying to be more enthusiastic, but I don't know. Tough. Big props out there. Big ups to uh, my, my guy, Sugar Shane Waldron. Uh, spent some time with him back when he was just getting into coaching, uh, from New England to Notre Dame, and now has made his way into the NFL. So not surprising at all. He's uh, found him, his, himself to this point. Uh, really, really, really bright guy. Uh, knew that from like the get. Uh, what they're pointing out, and this is more of like a serious conversation here, because this has been actually a big debate. I don't know if you know this, Will. This has been a big debate for a while. Because if you, if you look at how plays are communicated in in college, a lot of teams use wristbands or they signal from the sideline, Okay which is a really efficient process, right? Like you've got your signs up. Some of that's going to be for formation, personnel, what have you. And some of it's going to be a concept or play. Have right? you ever been on the Notre Dame signs? But uh, I don't, I don't, do they use signs? I don't think they use signs. I guess they don't use signs anymore. Yeah. We're not like one of those rinky dink, like college. They want a pro style system. Right. It's a real system. When I was there, it, it was the new England system. So it was super cool. Cause I'm sitting there like, just like Tom Brady reading off a wristband. Here's why I was always a proponent of reading off a wristband. There's two reasons. All right. The first is it is faster. If I was, if I was to say to you, zero out slot, 66, double seam, snow alert 40, right? Absolutely. Now, you have to say that twice. Say it again. Zero out slot, 66, double seam, snow alert 40. Double K's yeah. on one. Okay. The problem Wait, is. Can I, I, can I guess what that, can I guess what play that is? Sure. It feels like there's a. I feel like there's somebody shooting out out of the shooting up the seam out of the slot, and then somebody coming across on the other side. No, it's a two by two concept. Um, you're going to have uh, basically seam routes, seam adjusters versus cover two. Outside guys are running what's what's called 14 yard stutters. Okay, that's kind of what I was saying. Okay, that's kind of what I was saying. And then your your running backs actually running the snow route where, he, where you're trying to isolate him and break either way, whichever way he wants. Forty is actually alerting to the draw. In the event you do get a light box and, and cover two, right. okay. So then you, you can run the, 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 okay. the double cadence is obviously you can run a cadence. See what the defense does. 
you know, alert after that if you need to. Okay. But the whole point is saying that twice, all right, it takes a while to do it. And as opposed to a wristband where you go wristband 14 and then you go zero slot, six, six, double seam snow alert 40 on one, right? Double case on one, right? Like, so it's a lot faster process, more efficient. And, and people at home might be like, okay, what, what does this matter? Five seconds at the line of scrimmage matters, sure. especially on that particular play. And I picked that play because you have a double cadence. So I need as much time as possible to get all the information I can. And that's that's a play call that didn't have a shift, didn't have a motion. So this has been forever a debate because a lot of people, you know, a core, some quarterbacks were like, well, the guy's talking to me in my helmet, so I can just repeat it. Well, that's true to a degree, but it's not as fast of a process. And the other thing is, dude, it's kind of hard to mess up reading off a play. You can leave out some stuff repeating what they say, or the communication isn't great. Like it just so happens every time you go in the Foxborough, trust me on this, you're gonna have a communication breakdown. You're not gonna hear it all the time to coach the quarterback. So there's times where you were a wristband just for that reason, even though you're just repeating what they tell in your helmet. Um, so there's truth to that. Like it is a faster procedure calling it off the wristband. But there's some quarterbacks who don't like doing that because they want to have eyes on everyone in the huddle while they're doing now some guys will look at the wristband they'll, they'll look at the play and they'll know the play and they can repeat it they don't need to look down or read it as it is right and the last thing i'll say is it's a lot harder to mess up a call if it's on the wristband all right than it is if you're calling it based on what someone's saying in your helmet right sure so th there's that element to it it's, it's more efficient and it's kind of harder to mess up now i've definitely messed up wristband calls because what they do is everything will be because let's say you have 150 plays they'll be in right formation so then you'll they'll say flip number 44 and so you take that right formation you have to make everything that's in a right formation left every motion shift formation and then every number that's even odd so sometimes you'll either forget the flip altogether or you might mess up a portion of that that's the only reason where it goes a little haywire but for the most part like that is the age-old debate reading off a wristband um, and so for some veteran guys, they're like, dude, I'm not doing that. Come on. It looks rinky dink. It looks, looks college. Well, that, okay. That's what I was going to ask is let's say hypothetically you have a, um, secretly egotistical, uh, quarterback who is like dead set on, on reminding people that he can run an offense, can call an offense, knows exactly what he's doing. Never, uh, you know, like doesn't need a, like the, the feels like the wristband might be a little too childish. For his purposes. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll get some quarterbacks who feel that way. I mean, I'll, I'll leave it at that because I, I don't know the exact conversation, but I think the words no. trust, well, the, words, the, the words that Pete Carroll used in talking about the trust between Gino and Shane Waldron are real. And it's something that it seems very evident that you have those two have a great working relationship. And maybe that wasn't the case last year with Russell and Shane Waldron. Which is kind of tough too, because it's a first year in a system, right? That was, I believe that was uh, Shane Waldron's first year calling plays for them. But also, if you think about it, like Russ has been through a number of play callers. He had been with Daryl Bevel. He'd been with Brian Schottenheimer. They went and then to Shane Waldron. So and, and maybe he's a little bit skeptical too. And it's like, hey, I've been here. I've been successful. Like, this is how I like doing it. We're going to do it my way. Maybe that's a portion of it. But with Geno Smith, you've got a little more flexibility with saying, hey, this is how we want to do it because we think it's better. And Gino trusts Shane, and it's it's working out right now. So there is there's definitely what you're talking about, an element of that. But there's also the other side of it where, um, you know, there's some guys who are proven, and they feel more comfortable and confident doing it the way they do, and that's how they want to lead. Because there is something to, like, being in a huddle and looking every guy in the eye and telling them exactly what they have when you're when you're getting the play call in your helmet. Like, just I swear to God, you'll get in that you'll get in this huddle sometimes. God, who? Ooh, and you're talking and they don't even listen. They just break the huddle. Your left guards look at you. What's the snap count? Oh, here we go. Is, what was it? Six, okay, six, six. Running back saying, hey, who do I got? All right, you got that guy to that guy to scan. All right, like like you got to tell everyone everything and you just set it all in the huddle. So it's there's times when, you know. That's, 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 that's how Peyton Manning ends up yelling, God damn it, Donald. <laughs> Donald Brown doesn't I remember, I remember in a preseason game as I was dropping back, yelling at a, at a running back, a young running back, uh, to go pick up a blitzing linebacker. <laughs> I, I, I literally, as I got the ball, I'm going back to my fake, and I, I'm like feeling him now. I'm like, go, go get it. I was like, go, go. <laughs> I was like, go. Like, and like, there's there's points where you get to the point where like, that was like year eight. So you're getting to the point where the game's so slow, you're seeing it. 
and these guys aren't seeing it. Like you knew before the snap it was happening, and you kind of point, you know, looking back, like, all right, is he, is he seeing it? You don't want to be too obvious. And then as like, the snap goes, you're like, all right, guy, go, go, get him. go, 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 get him. go get the linebacker. <laughs> the good thing was, though, the running back actually did not go get the linebacker. I moved enough where I just like, he turned around. I was like, all right, he's, he's now a viable option. He to just throw off the running back. I was like, there you go. So he makes a mistake, but he, but he ends up getting the ball. Out. And that, that's, that's another golden rule playing quarterback in the NFL. I swear to God, anytime a receiver runs a bad route or the wrong route, they'll get the football. Cause like a quarterback will drop back. He'll be like, what the hell is that guy doing? And then he's like, he's just, it's like standing there. You just throw it to him. You're like, all right, you get so fixated on the guy. You just end up throwing at him anyways. And usually they end up catching the ball. Well, and, and like, plus like the defense is probably prepared for, like they have like an idea of like what kind of, like the guy's like squatting on a curl route and this guy runs a, a like an in route instead. Yeah. You're like, oh, whatever. I'll um, never forget. We're on Monday night football playing against Buffalo and Kellen Winslow was supposed to run an, an over route. It was like a deeper crossing, like it's 18 to 22 yards. We're a three by one set. So across the field, he should be, you know, about uh, a few yards inside the numbers where he's going to catch the football. And he literally broke it off into a shallow cross. And I think I was like, <laughs> I mean, I had to throw it to him because I was like, well, he's my only viable option at that point. They blitzed the back. So they took the back out of the equation. And so I ended up throwing to him. I was like, Kellen, you got to get deeper. It's a two-minute drive, dude. Like, but uh, it really, it's like, but it's like, like, it's like the timing. He's he's where he's he's where he thinks he's supposed to be to catch the ball, like a good second and a half before he, or maybe like two and a half seconds, whatever it is. Like, well, at that point in the NFL, it's like you think playmakers not plays, and you're just trying to hit the hit the open guy in a two-minute drive. Fortunately, Phil Dawson's a stud and build us out to long field goal to win it. But Love it. I just, I just remember like, like talking to him after I was like, what are you doing? I was like, I was getting open. I was like, yeah. I was like, we need to get down the field though. Like, we don't, we're battling time. Like that's a, oh man. Speaking of battling time, the last thing I'll say on the, the, um, the, the wristband versus the getting the plays in. It is interesting that as Pete Carroll points this out, and subtly makes references to Russell Wilson not being interested in the wristband and not maybe maybe having some time issues. We spent a lot of lot of minutes discussing the Denver Broncos issues with the play clock early in the season and really all season. I don't know. One could draw two comparisons to those situations if one were so inclined. No, I, I think it's real. And in a first year in a system, you're probably gonna have a hard time spitting the play call out. Um, and 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 look at you know, they're maybe having a hard time too because of how much they've struggled offensively. They might be taking a little longer getting the play call in. Sure. Getting the personnel in. Like the first thing you got to do is figure out what personnel you're running that play from. Like you might know the concept you want to run, but you got to figure out what personnel group you want to put out there. So that's the first line of communication to figure out, are you staying in the same group? Or are you changing the personnel grouping? Once you figure that out, now you're going to that concept and figuring out if you want to call it as is, tweak it, how you want to go about getting to it based on what you're seeing from the defense. So though all those things like play a factor into it. And, you know, people take for granted how hard that is. Like it's hard to call plays at any level, let alone doing it at the NFL level. So it's, there's a lot that goes into it. And if you could simplify that, and that's why I think a wristband's smart for a lot of people. If you can simplify that, it allows you then the opportunity to, to be able to make it a more efficient process and avoid some of those unnecessary mistakes. Speaking of, Difficult, difficulties calling plays. Let's just segue right into, um, I guess it's our sort of our final read between the lines, except we don't have a specific quote. Um, Billy, do you have the uh, quartiles clip handy for Brady? He might not have. He might deleted it. That's all right. Okay, we- We're the fourth winningest franchise in the league since 2000. All right. That means in the upper quartile of winners, we're in the top quartile of that upper quartile. That's rare. I don't know how to make sausage. I don't know what goes into sausage, but I do know how to build a football team. Producer sausage goes into sausage when it's all, I mean, it's obviously a mixture of meats. The whole, the whole point is like, you don't, you don't, and I said this already once, but it's like the whole thing about the, you don't bring up. It's like, I don't know how to make sausage. It's you don't know, want to know how the sausage is made. Right. Like that's, that's the saying, Jimbo. It's not, I don't know how to make sausage. It's, well, I think at one point too, he said, I see it when I know it. Like he just had all these, like I, instead of, I know it when I see it, like it's just all these things like mixed backwards and you're going, yeah, that's about the way the Colts season has gone. He also said that we're the fourth winningest 
football team in the NFL since 2000, which is like, oh, cool. You just took a decade of Peyton Manning playing for you and lumped that in there. Like that was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, and then said what that puts us in the top quartile of the upper quartile of the top quartile. Can we just look for a second, like step back and go even so even after Peyton Manning, even after Andrew Luck, like Frank Reich's tenure there, it's pretty remarkable when you think about what he dealt with. Like you had Luck for a year, they surprise retires. They were what, 10 and six the one year he was with Luck. They go to the playoffs, they win a game, they lose a game. Okay, not a bad start. Like that's pretty darn good, right? You then go to year two, Luck does a surprise retirement on the sideline in a preseason game. Brissett takes over. They're like, what, a game or two below 500? It wasn't that bad of a season. Seven, seven and nine. Like all things considered, you're going, considering your starting quarterback literally just called it quits like two weeks before the season starts. Not so bad, all right? You then get Phillip Rivers. You go, what, 11 and five? 10 and six? They went uh, 11 and five, yes. 11 and five. They go to the playoffs. Lose a game? Okay, so be it. Maybe you got another shot. in Buffalo. And like you had the game, like a really good Buffalo team, and you, you played them, you played them close. You, you know, had a chance of winning it though. It didn't. Okay, so be it. Then Rivers retires, right? But if he comes back, you're assuming, like, okay, like we're in year two with Philip Rivers, future Hall of Famer, like, like we're gonna be okay. Well, then he retires. And so what do you do? You look at Carson Wentz. All right, another new quarterback, first year system, you know, or first year with that team. It maybe felt like it was enough similar to what he had in Philly. He goes nine and eight. I mean, and yeah, he didn't in your in your nine and six with the Raiders. And the, at the Jaguars left on your schedule, and all you have to do is win one, you're guaranteed to go to the playoffs. Right, but but look, even then, like so, so Wentz doesn't play great down the stretch. So be it. It's his first year in the system, right? Like, let's not blow this whole thing up and move on because the guy didn't want to get vaxxed. Like, let's not make that decision. Oh, okay, let's just ship him off then. All right, so now he's done. And then what do you do? You trade for Matt Ryan. All right, he played awful last year in Atlanta. Now, it wasn't his fault coming onto this team that the O-line was going to be as bad as they've been. Right that Jonathan Taylor would be banged up and all the things that have come along. There were 500 with Matt Ryan. Like, it wasn't like they were like, oh, I, I'm completely out of the AFC South. They're the fact, place right now. The fact that they like, they hit the panic button after all of this, I sit there and look at it or, or, and I know Frank Reich's like driving to Carolina or something. I think right now taking off. I'm like, dude, this guy's going to be a head coach at some point somewhere else. He's probably like, going to end up coaching the Panthers this next season. Like they're going to look at that resume and go, "Wow!" Like he he actually had that record despite all of the stuff that was going on, and the fact that Jim Irsay just hired a guy who was an analyst to all of a sudden be the interim head coach. Like the the, the crazy thing about this is, if you were going to hire, if you were to hire Jeff Saturday, wait till the off season. Like let John Fox or Gus Bradley or Bubba Ventrone get a shot at it, or Ron Miles, who's or Miles, who's, who's been on, in the NFL forever, their secondary coach. Like have someone take over for the rest of the season. And then you can go through the formal process of hiring a guy and bringing in guys that you either really like, or you're really tabbing, right? That would make most sense for the players, for the coaches, the fans, everyone else. This whole thing is absolutely bizarre. And so if I'm reading between the lines, I just think it's, it's, it's crazy to me. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to say anything disrespectful, so I'm not going to say anything. Um, but it's crazy to me that he's parading around with an NFL franchise running it the way he has. And look, maybe they'll maybe they'll prove us wrong. Maybe they'll win the next four games and the rest will be history. But I it just it's astonishing right now. And now you got like Dan Orlowski leveraging like this potential opportunity to try to get a bigger payday from ESPN. Right. He's like he's like he's like now I heard Orlowski from by the way, friend of the pod. Um He's been on the pod. I don't really know Dan that well, uh, but he, you know, he, he comes on Dan Patrick's show and says he's like, he's like, yeah. Now all of a sudden, the discussions I had with Jeff Saturday over the last six weeks make all makes sense. sense. Yeah, so we, were, we were talking about scheme and teams. It's like, yeah. oh, as opposed to what you would be doing in the normal course of your job at ESPN, analyzing the NFL. That's what you think. No, the, yeah. there's no way that Jeff Saturday's been eyeing this job for six weeks. Well, that's the thing that would make you think that then Jim Irsay had this whole grand plan in the first place to move on from Frank Reich. Oh, and by the way, can we just go back to how Frank Reich got the job? He wasn't their first. Josh McDaniels ditched him. And, and so this guy comes in and does a heck of a job during a period of time that was as tumultuous as maybe any and still leaves with a winning record. It is astonishing. It really is when you look at it how he's gotten cast aside by Jim Irsay. He's probably doing him a favor, honestly. And then Jim Irsay has the nerve and the gall to get into the, he goes, I've never hired a coach 
who finished with a losing record. It's like, well, you just fired one. Like, what do you, he's like, and if anyone disparages Frank Reich coach for, for the job he did here, you're wrong. And your opinion doesn't matter. It's like you fired him, bro. You are the one who just like, like, like told him to get to take a hike. Like you can't, you're disparaging him by firing him and replacing him with Jeff effing Saturday, who by all accounts is a great guy. Colts legend, ring of honor, all of that, but he's never coached above the high school level. It's insulting to a lot of people. I mean, right? No, it's 100% insulting to a lot of people. I, I think the fact that I think there's there's two ways of looking at this. The fact that, you know, Jim Irsay is then taking every player, every coach who's, who's currently with that team and hiring someone outside the building who has not been a part of the process this entire year, whether it's, you know, the, the preseason, the offseason, all that stuff leading up to it. A lot of time and effort and work goes into it. And you're basically slapping everyone in the face by bringing in someone who's not even a part of that process. By the time Jeff Saturday gets his feet wet and really dug into this team, the season's going to be over. I mean, that, that's where we are in the season. What is it, week 10 in the NFL? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 literally, it's going to be over. And the season's already over for the Colts for the most part, unless they turn this thing around, which seems unlikely. So not only is it difficult for Jeff Saturday, it's a slap in the face to every coach, person within the organization who's worked so hard to try to make this season go this year. And then on top of that, if you're Jeff Saturday, at some point you probably should look at it and go, I mean, yeah, it's hard to turn down because who else is knocking on the door to give me a head coaching job in the NFL, interim or not? Like, it's hard not to take. It's a little like Mike Mayock with the GM job in, in Oakland and Las Vegas. Like, sure, that's probably not the best job that you could get as a GM, but it's probably the only one you're getting as an it's analyst. Job. I think you look at a lot of other head coaches, too, that take a head coaching job and you go, all right, um, I guess I'll – take this gig because, you know, I, I don't know when else I get this sort of payday, whether it works out or not. It's hard to turn down what comes along with that. And so you see some coaches who take gigs where you're like, man, they got an uphill battle as it is, but they know if they get fired, they got the severance, man. Like they're, they're getting that solid payout. So there's a financial component to it too. And it's, it's hard to blame them for. Now, I don't know what agreement is there is with Jeff Saturday and all that. It just, it's more the fact that like, I look at a kid like Sam Ellinger, right. Who, when they put him in there to see what they have in the rest of the season, my, my brain went two ways. We talked about this. It's either that they really want to see what they have in him. They feel like with their offensive line issues, he'd be better suited for circumventing some of the, the issues they have protecting quarterbacks, which clearly we saw last week doesn't matter. Um, or it's because they want to tank and they want to try to get themselves in a position to be able to take one of the top quarterbacks in next year's draft. And then you see them obviously fire Marcus Brady. They, they fire, you know, Frank Reich. And now you look at him, you go, so what is, I mean, what is your Junior season a, He's going rogue on this team, and it's hard. It's hard to know if he's trying to tank because because I think he probably is, but like at the same time, he might just be so cuckoo for cocoa puffs that he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, don't forget it all. In all, in the middle of all this, he went on an extended thirteen minute rant against Dan Snyder at the owners' meetings. Like the guy has had some pretty out there moments over the last month or so. Yeah, no, I mean, and and it, and it goes to show you like. Once you can get hit that jackpot, right? Like I was talking earlier today on radio about how imagine the one person who won that that I think it was in California too. They had the winning ticket. Like they get a billion dollars after taxes. Yeah. They can immediately go buy an NFL franchise or be a majority owner. They're flush with cash now. And think about if you could get in that circle. You could be an awful owner and you're you're still gonna make money. There is no better business than being an NFL owner, a majority owner, because you are printing money. You literally are a mint. You're just printing money. You can be awful. You can have losing teams, still make money. Like that's just the way this thing's set up. So it's it's crazy to me to watch how this is all transpiring. There's all these careers that are just lumped up, balled up into a big wad of just paper and throw in the trash can with how this is working out right now, at least in the short term. Again, maybe Jim Mercer is a genius, you know? Maybe he actually does know how the sausage is made, you know? Maybe he's right. Maybe you don't have I mean, to. Be, you, you don't have to be a nuclear scientist, all right, to figure out how to go to Mars. Even though I'm pretty sure that's not what nuclear scientists do in the first place. <laughs> but maybe, maybe he's right. It's just football, and we're all overthinking this. You know, a, a lot of people lose a lot of games in this league, Brady. Yeah, I'm Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan lost a lot of games. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan missed a lot of shots. Yeah, he lost. A there's no question about that. I, you know, um, you know, honestly, it's, it, you know, um, 
it's not really even in the the consciousness of my mind. Uh, uh. By the way, that that right there is amazing. That was eventually going to get to the Michael Jordan clip, but Jim Arce took like 14 seconds to get it. He's like, there's no question. He, he broke into song. Like all he needed was his band next to him and then maybe a tree to lean up on. He was actually was making sausage. He was making sausage. He was making, so- okay. he was making word sausage. What he was doing. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. Brady Quinn for another. Oh, oh, real quick. What? Donation. Jets oh. this week. Quinn Williams beast for uh, uh, defensive player of the year. Sauce Gardner defensive rookie of the year. Uh, it's like minus 200 defensive rookie of the year, I think, at this point. Oh, it's not bad. Um, but you've got. I think you've got the formula if you're the Jets, right? You run the football. Don't ask Zach Wilson to do too much, kind of dink and dunk to Garrett Wilson mostly. And then you just try to play great defense. And I think you can win some football games that way. But the oh, – uh, the, By the way, South Carolina, even money to be defensive rookie of the year. Well, there you go. I'd, I'd probably be, bet that. Yeah. I mean, right now. Aiden Hutchinson, 14 to 1. Ooh. I don't, I don't really see that improving that much more. But $1,000 donation. It's going to the Catch-A-Lift Fund – uh, enables post 9-11 combat injured veterans all over the U.S. to recover uh, and rehabilitate both physically, mentally, through physical fitness, motivation, and support. Uh, I'm, I'm all about veterans. I have a foundation that works with veterans. Third uh, goal. Day, that third goal foundation. Um, veterans Day is coming up, so that's why we didn't go with like a, an option or whatever that someone would recommend. We wanted to make this more uh, veteran-centric for this uh, specific week. But really, really cool organization. Check it out at catchaliftfund.org. Uh, they do amazing work. Uh, met a lot of people who run it. So really, really cool story behind it. Uh, so, st- so thank you to all the veterans out there. Hey, and Jets fans, if you're watching, if you're listening, um, if you're searching YouTube for Brady Quinn Jets, which is apparently a thing that is happening quite often uh, based on our metrics that we're looking at behind the scenes, um, and you happen upon this, go donate to third and goal. You, no, no. That's not going to happen. I'll put it this way. And then hopefully they see this because Jets fans are cheap. Okay. The reality is not only have they not matched any, not only have they not matched any donation to any of these charities, they just talk on social media and on the internet. So they can stay cheap. All right. We'll let them keep reveling in their wins and I'll keep donating and being a man of my word and helping out the more the Jets win. So everybody wins in this case. We don't have to have them actually, you know, dislocate their arm, reaching into their pocket to actually donate. Because I know they're cheap asses and they won in the first place. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Hashtag take flight. Hashtag Super Bowl. Thanks for watching. Hashtag, hashtag take flight. <laughs> cheap asses. <laughs> hashtag take flight. Spirit <laughs> Airlines of fans. <laughs> hashtag Frontier Airlines. That's how it goes. Oh, man. All right. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. For Brady, I'm Bridget. We'll see you guys later.